All right, now take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20, if you haven't already. We're looking at Paul's sermon to the uh, Ephesian elders. He has now traveled around uh, Macedonia. He's gone back into Greece and spent uh, three months in Corinth. He's headed down to Jerusalem through Syria. He learned of a plot against him. He decided, I'm not going that way. Somebody else, y'all go that way. I'll go a different way. He, he uh, verse 18, or rather verse uh, 16, tells us that he bypasses Asia, uh, Ephesus. He doesn't want to stop there. He's in kind of a hurry. And, of course, you know, no, no surprise he wouldn't want to stop there anyway, um, considering what's happened. But he gets down to Miletus, which is south of Ephesus, about 30 miles. And when he gets there, we pick up in verse 17, and he, it says, uh, Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And then he preaches this message, this message. Uh, rather uh, abbreviated. Uh, we assume Luke uh, doesn't record word for word. He, he gives us uh, a, a good, strong gist and makes some quotes, uh, especially since just a little while ago he was, Paul was preaching past midnight. But he has this sermon. Uh, Luke records three sermons for us in Acts, uh, uh, three sermons of Paul in Acts. The first one is the type of sermon he would preach to Jews, his own people who were lost. Uh, the second is the type of sermon he would preach to Gentiles. And in this third sermon, it is the type of sermon that he preached to believers. So he is preaching to the elders in Ephesus, the, the pastors, the leadership in Ephesus, and we get to see how Paul would disciple. See, making disciples requires teaching Scripture. And that's, that's what Paul's doing here. I mean, it, it, his words actually become Scripture, but Paul is teaching. He is making disciples. Uh, I, I put on Facebook last night that uh, as I prepared this message, and I see that this is going to be a four-week study through uh, Paul's sermon here uh, to the Ephesians, this, this sermon is a disciple-making sermon. And, and I could have planned it to talk about discipleship now that we are starting D groups, but God had already planned it. God had already worked it out, and I didn't even see it coming until we got here. But making disciples requires teaching. Paul writes to Timothy, the last letter he wrote, when, he wrote, one of the last things Paul says ever, as far as we know, or at least one of the last things he writes he, he writes to Timothy to, to preach and do the work of an evangelist and all these things. And he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this is what Paul told Tom, uh, Timothy to preach, to preach teaching. And that's what he does here in this sermon to the Ephesian elders. So he takes this last opportunity, his, his third recorded sermon, to teach them and to teach us. What we have here in this sermon is discipleship in action. 
And, and, and we see it sitting in on this. We, we look and, and we listen, we read the sermon, and, and he teaches us as he teaches them. We realize he is talking to a small group, but he is talking to us as well. As Paul describes what he did, and that's what he describes in this first section, uh, verses uh, 17 through 21, as he describes what he did, we learn what to do. He gives us in 17 through 21 this brief retrospective of his ministry in Ephesus. And he is saying to them in these few verses what he said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is a key component of discipleship. Disciples disciple. And disciples say, as I imitate Christ, imitate me. This message is, this sermon is an encouragement to the church, and that's kind of the title of this four-week series, Encouraging the Church, and this message from Paul is what to do, and we'll see three other what to's as we move through it. Look at the passage, verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, you know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you, or Caruso preaching to you, anything that was profitable, or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God, and faith in our Lord Jesus. In this, these few verses, Paul's going to give us three examples of what he did that I believe become three commands for us today. Not everything that a biblical character did is a command, but Paul is teaching, he is discipling, and he is saying in so many words, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So what do we see Paul doing here First, in verses 18 and 19, we uh, see that we are to serve intimately. Serve intimately. Both of those words mean something. Serve intimately. Now, the first thing we see that Paul says here in verse 17, uh, I'm rather verse 18, the end of verse 18, you know from the first day I set foot in Asia. From the first day I set foot in Asia, Paul was there. Well, of course he was there, Michael, because he was there. He couldn't have been there if he wasn't there. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, he was present, a ministry of presence. That's the first thing we see in this intimate serving that he did. He was present for the, the, the church, present for the people. To disciple, you have to be there. To, to disciple, you have to pick up the phone. To, to, to disciple, you have to hear when people are talking and, and listen to them. To disciple, you have to be there. Paul had a ministry of presence. As a matter of fact, churches often talk about the ministry of presence, the, the uh, benefit of just being there for people. Paul was present. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. Uh, I'm going to move through them rather quickly, when we take discipleship seriously, an incredible intimacy will develop. When we sit down and 
weep over God's word or weep over our lives together. Paul's going to talk about that. When we talk, talk, uh, when we disciple each other, when we have those aha moments of scripture, when he, uh, the Holy Spirit, works in our lives and does things that, that we could have never seen, and we do that together, we develop intimacy. If we want unity, then let's get intimately involved together with Scripture. And we will have unity. We will, in the ministry of presence, in in serving uh, intimately, we will do what Paul said in Galatians 6.2, we will bear one another's burdens. It's it's interesting, and, and, and not just, no, interesting is way too calm a word. Uh, you, you remember Lacey and uh, uh, Chelsea's testimonies as well, where they talked about reading through Scripture and seeing connections that they would, ne- would have never, they, they never thought about. They knew the verses, but they never connected them to other places. And this morning, I was talking to uh, one of our Sunday school teachers, and she was talking about how in another Bible study, she's studying exactly what we're talking about here. And then in Sunday school, the topic went with it. And, and it hap- just so happened that it's actually from Acts. But what I've also found is the number of times that we read a passage in a discipleship environment or just at home if we are reading to learn and not just to read we read a passage and then we hear something from another part of scripture that if if you just ask me are those two things connected or related the answer is no but then God connects those together and we see this especially as we hear Paul teach and of course this makes more sense right we hear Paul teach and then we read his letters and we see the, this, he expands this one little sentence into two chapters somewhere in one of his letters. But that's what we see as we work through this. And we hear Paul say here, bear one another's burdens. The ministry of presence, serving intimate, serve intimately with presence, serve intimately with humility. He uses the language here and regularly of a bond slave. We, we, some of our translations kind of smooth that over a little bit and we say bond servant because it's a little more palatable. And it's understandable that we would want to be delicate and careful with the idea of slavery. But that is the image that we have here, slaves to Christ. Humility of, uh, did not mean for Paul, certainly, passive or some milquetoast personality. I don't think we see that anywhere in Scripture for Paul, what it does mean is service for others without thought for yourself. That's the kind of humility Paul is talking about. He did not concern himself, as he's going to say uh, a little bit later, knowing what's coming in Jerusalem. He says, it doesn't matter. What's important is that I tell people about Jesus. So service for others without thought for yourself is humility because Paul knew who he was in Christ first. He went into every situation knowing, I am a slave to Christ. That is who I serve. That is my my goal and my purpose, to serve Christ and no one else. Paul knew he was not his own. I was bought with a price. 
so he didn't worry about the prevailing opinions. He could absorb attacks and slander as baseless and unjustified because he knew he served Jesus first and only. And a discipler knows the call to serve. Someone who disciples others knows that they are called to be a servant, first to, uh, first to Christ and then to others. And a servant, uh, a slave to Christ, will then always serve others the way God's calling if they are truly a slave to Christ. He says, I, I, I did this, uh, you know, from the first day I sat in Phodasia. I've hit you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility. Then he says, with tears, Paul wept for those to whom he ministered. It crushed Paul when churches would go through trials, when they would go through pain, whether it was brought on by themselves or some outside. He prayed for the, he wept for those who were lost. Uh, he wept for those who wept. Romans 12, 15, he commands us to weep for those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Paul wept on his own, not just with others, but he wept on his own. He wept for the church's sinfulness. The, the, the various churches he had ministered to started all these times. He wept for their sinfulness. In 2 Corinthians 2.4, he tells us that. He wept for the lostness of the world in Philippians 3.18. A discipler weeps for the church. Paul shared that he shed tears for the church. And then he shared that he had been through trials. During the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. If we haven't gotten it yet, the Christian will suffer persecution. Now it's interesting, Acts never mentions any persecution by the Jews in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, the only persecution Acts mentions in Ephesus is the, riot, the silversmith's riot that we covered a couple of weeks ago. But his letters talk about them extensively, particularly some that went on at the time he would have been in Ephesus. So the Christian will suffer. And for Paul, he brings up the plots of the Jews because plots from Jews were even more devastating to him because those were his people. He's going to say in Romans, if I could give up my own salvation for, uh, those, uh, for the salvation of my own people, I would. Those are who he hurt for, and then they were the ones who would turn around and hurt him. See, persecution from within is always more painful than persecution from without. Uh, you know that I serve the Lord with humility, tears, and during trials. The discipler and the discipled will suffer persecution. The second uh, admonition we have uh, from this first quarter of his sermon is to proclaim openly in verse 20. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. See, Paul held nothing back in his teaching. And I think if we read the letters, we see that too. He, he was harsh when he had to be. He was loving when he had to be. Paul told them things they liked to hear and things they didn't like to hear. Whatever was true to the gospel and helpful to the faithful is what 
Paul taught, what Paul proclaimed. And he, here he's, he is confident in his teaching. He is not uh, at all ashamed of his teaching. And he's telling them, don't be ashamed of your teaching. Don't be ashamed of the gospel message. See, in this day, false teachers would hide their sources or they would teach of, of hidden or secret doctrines. I mean, the whole idea behind the, one of the main uh, uh, enemies of the church that develops, if it's not already developing at this time in Scripture, will develop just 10, 15, 20 years from this time, is Gnosticism, a, a word that is Greek for knowledge. See, people would claim to have secret knowledge. Oh, I know stuff about the Bible that you don't. And the reason I know it is because it's not in there, but God revealed it to me. That is a false teaching. And that's what they would do. And, and Paul is saying, there is nothing that I told you about that you can't find in Scripture. There is no teaching that I came to you and said this, but when you go and look for that, you're not going to be able to find it. The false teachers will. But I will not. What he taught, Paul was convicted about. He taught what the Lord told him to teach. And being faithful to the truth leaves you nothing to hide. If it begins with a lie, then you might have to lie to cover up that lie. And after a while, you're having to remember all the ways you said things. Paul never had that concern when it came to Scripture. He never tried to manipulate his teaching to get someone to do thing, something that the Bible didn't call for. So he always knew where he could go back and say, right here, this is what the text says. Not a tradition, but the text. And then he goes on to say, uh, he's making clear, and so he's not ashamed of his teaching. You, I didn't avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching, and then he says, uh, uh, teaching you publicly and from house to house. He said the same things in public or private, regardless of the audience. See, uh, this, this publicly and from house to house could have meant, and it did mean simply what he was talking about. Out, like when he preached in the uh, uh, Agora in, in Athens, and, and preached to a, just a group of people, and he did that a number of times, but he also went to specific groups, little groups. So you have just that clear meeting, but you also have in this the idea of social status. It, it, it was uh, publicly, generally, that he would preach to the uh, the workers and the the, uh, the 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 lower those of the lower economic status, house to house implied some social status of those that he was preaching to. See, Paul did not care who you were. Paul didn't care where your background was, who, who you came from, who your mom and them were. Didn't matter to him one bit. Paul, to Paul, the truth was the truth. So we see here, a discipler shares openly and honestly the truths of God's word. That is what we are discipling people to is God's word, the truth of God's word. And then the third admonition we have from this section is to witness inclusively. Verse 21, I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul wanted everyone to hear the gospel. Paul wanted everyone to be disciples. And he didn't care who heard it. 
He, uh, there was no sin too great. There was no person too lost. There was no situation where he did not believe the gospel could make it right. He didn't exclude anyone. Paul didn't, as we read both Acts and his letters. He didn't exclude anyone because of a, a personal judgment of their sin or some irrational dislike. We as believers tend to struggle with going to a certain group of people with the gospel. Whatever that group is, and it's probably going to be different for each of us. Well, I just can't do, I just can't talk, I just can't. Well, there is no differentiation in God's word between who, uh, to whom we should preach. It's to all of them. So for Paul, as we see here, it always meant, or it meant he always went to the synagogue first. Those were his people. He wanted to reach those closest to him. Those his heart were, was most burdened for. Even though he was called to be the missionary to the Gentiles, he always went to his people first. He went to the synagogue, but as we read, and as these people would know, he did not shrink back from the temple at Artemis. The temple of Artemis, rather. He didn't shrink back from paganism. He didn't shrink back from Judaism. He took the gospel and shone its light into every false belief. A discipler shares the gospel and seeks to make disciples of all people. And these are things, these are, some of y'all are sitting here going, well, duh, Michael. Of course we're supposed to do that. Well, do you? Because it's one thing to know you're supposed to do something and it's something else completely to do it. I know these things too, but the question to me is, do I? This is what a discipler does. Discipler, uh, also, when we witness inclusively, we understand that the gospel is exclusive, but it isn't shared exclusively. Well, what do I mean by that? There's only one way we can be saved. Jesus is exclusive. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. It is exclusive. There is no other way to heaven. There are not many roads to God. There is one way to be saved, and that is through salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, he says it right here in verse 21. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. One way to be saved. There is an exclusive gospel, that it, but it is not to be shared exclusively. It is for anyone who will trust him. And then... Sin is the problem, right? Sin is what gets in the way of not just our salvation, but our sanctification. Sure, salvation is experienced through repentance and faith, and repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ, but we've got to understand as disciplers, remember, as disciplers, we are not just discipling believers. We are making disciples of unbelievers. It, I've been in the ministry now for 25, nearly 25 years, 1919, 1995 to 2019, whatever that is, is that 25, close to it, 24 years. I've not found evangelism to be easier than discipleship, 
And I've not found discipleship to be easier than evangelism. I found it to be no easier to get Christians to grow than it is to get unbelievers to believe. And I've found, nor have I found the, the opposite, that it's easier to get unbelievers to believe and Christians to grow. It's all hard. It's all painful. Because it's all a result of our sin. And we like it. We like our sin. We like the way things are. We want to go on the trip, but we don't want to get ready for it. And let's be honest, some of us think it'll be nicer if there's just a few of us than a whole bunch of us on that trip. That's sin. Sin is the result of being disobedient to God's design. God's design was perfect. God's design was that his people, the trip would never be necessary. We started in Fiji. We started in paradise, and then sin messed up that design. Sin, where we are disobedient to God's will, disobedient to what he has for us, and sin always leads to brokenness. You know, brokenness is one of the things we have to have discipled out of us. Believers, we're still broken. Believers, we still hurt. We still sin. We still have situations like at Bellevue, and it is discipleship, it is those people, it is coming together, it's hearing the words of Paul and digesting those, eating those. Your word is like honey to my mouth, taking it in, and that is when we can find some respite from the brokenness in this life, but we will never experience that full brokenness uh, or uh, rescue from that full brokenness no matter how hard we try, whether, no matter how we think we're going to do it, all those squiggly lines of self-help and self-medication and, and uh, as I saw in the video again this morning for Three Circles, if we could just white-knuckle it and hold on, we'll make it through. No, you won't. It does not work. Those things don't solve brokenness the solvent uh, the the solution to brokenness is the gospel the gospel what's the gospel paul says a little about it here in acts i testified to both jews and greeks about repentance toward god and faith in our lord jesus christ but what is what was that faith in he tells us later on in corinthians actually at this point he's already uh written corinthians he's already told us that uh Christ was crucified for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and on the third day he rose according to the scriptures. He took our sin. The perfect lamb of God took our sin, bore it on the cross, took our punishment for that sin, died for it, was buried, really dead, in the ground three days. And three days later he rose from that grave to prove that he had beaten it. That is the gospel. That is the healing balm to our brokenness. Will it fix everything? The answer is no. But can we get through life without it? I believe the answer is no. It fixes the brokenness of eternity. It fixes the brokenness of sin. And it makes the brokenness of this life Hard to use this word, this phrase, but worth it. Because we know what's on the other side. We know what our eternity 
holds. If we repent of our sin and believe the gospel, then we begin to recover and pursue God's design. We begin to see glimmers of hope in our lives. We begin to take the tragedies in our lives and say, not how can I get away from this, how can I white-knuckle it through this, or how I can I medicate myself so I never have to remember it, but instead, how can God use this for His glory and for my benefit? I, 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 I just cannot imagine how people go through life without that hope. And Christ offers that hope. Paul shows us a discipler is going to serve intimately. He is going to proclaim openly and he is going to witness inclusively to see the lost saved and Christians sanctified. So this morning, what is your need? Are you sitting there? in your brokenness, having never accepted Christ, having never repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation, the brokenness, you, you will never find any respite from the brokenness. Believer, if we look, we don't find Paul having a lot of respite from the brokenness of the world either. Shipwrecks and beatings and beasts and near dead and a couple of times and this and that and the other and, and over and over. And yet, he says it's worth it all. Unbeliever, find the, the answer to the brokenness. Believer, trust that God will get you through the brokenness. Let's pray. Father, we live in a broken world. We look at Paul and we, we hear his teaching and, and, and we see it and we think, well, he just he didn't know the life I lived. I think the answer is we don't know the life he lived. God, we help us to see That we have a way, we have the joy, we have the peace, we have the comfort. If not to overcome the brokenness that continues to rise above that brokenness and see something good. And Lord, I know there are people here this morning listening to me. There, They're going, you don't know my brokenness. And you're right, I don't. They're right, I don't. But Lord, I know you. And I know what you can do through your miraculous power in the heart of your people. In the lives of your people. I know how you can minister. And I know how you can take those moments, those tragedies, and turn them into opportunities to disciple others who have gone through or will go through the same thing. Our broken lives, especially as believers, show us what to do as we study your word and read it and we see what we're to do. 
So this morning, it, it, the what to do for somebody today might be to trust Jesus as their Savior, to give their hearts, to repent of their sin. And I pray that they would, Lord. I, I pray then also for the believers that see, you know, their lives might be pretty good right now, but they see the brokenness around them, and they see those opportunities to disciple, to grow themselves that we as believers, regardless of our current circumstances, would, would serve intimately, would proclaim the truth of your word openly, and that we would witness to all inclusively. That, Lord, you would move on hearts today. That your word would penetrate and change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is your decision this morning? Do you need to trust Christ? Do, do you, does, does, the, does the three circles make sense uh, or not? But you know you're broken and you just want to talk about it. It's just me this morning. I'll be down front today to, to pray with you if that's what you need. Believer, is there brokenness that you need to bring to the Lord? Is there discipling that you need to do? What is your decision today? If you're watching online right now as it's live or maybe somewhere down the line comment message us here at the church let us pray for you if nothing else but let's stand let's sing let's god work let's let god work in our hearts and let him do business in us today